When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to another episode of Friends From Work. This is a podcast about all things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it's hosted by me, Kyle Sconowell, and my friend, Robbie Earl. We step away for a few days, and everything (laughs) in the Marvel world blows up, apparently, because this was a massive, massive week. In one week alone, Robbie, like I've said before, we're doing our rewatches, that's keeping us busy. We have a saga so far with the Falcon and Winter mm-hmm. Soldier finale coming up tonight. There was a brand new Doctor Strange trailer, which blew my mind, <laughs> which we're going to get into in a little bit here. <laughs> I watched Hawkeye Assembled, which was fun. Oh, so nice. now some new content on that front. You know how I love the behind the scenes stuff. A right. bunch of other movies were announced. A ton of stuff going on. And so this episode, Robbie, I think is just going to be a hodgepodge of really important Marvel details for us to catch you up on. I think the most important thing people need to learn, though, is that we are now officially on TikTok. <laughs> and to be totally honest, I have no idea what I'm doing. I feel like it's an app for people a lot younger than me, so I feel like an idiot. But eventually, I'm going to get the TikTok thing down, I think, and it's going to be kind of fun. You're going to see a lot of me flossing on there. <laughs> I'm excited. I think everyone should be excited. <laughs> You'll have to be on there some too. You're not totally absolved of this. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just do, uh, I'll just do different videos of Samwise dancing. <laughs> that, I do fear of what your go-to is going to be on TikTok. It's going to be a lot of Samwise. It'll never be you on camera, actually, for sure. <laughs> but also, Robbie is out there on Twitter at the FFW podcast, just dropping some truth bombs, some truth broccoli and steak for the fan <laughs> communities out there. Some of these tweets, Robbie, shots fired a little bit here. Man, you know, I just, I've got some thoughts. I mean, I'm, I'm really not trying to offend anybody truly. And that's why I don't want to get overly specific. But the, the way that fan communities over the last few years have started responding to films or, or projects that aren't well-made, <laughs> I think is a really interesting <laughs> thing. You and I were talking about this a little bit yesterday. I, I think it's, it's a, on the one hand, we've always said that we don't like to come on here and 
be kind of overly pessimistic about projects because there are like, you know, it's art and then it hits people different ways. And there's always going to be a crew that, you know, something that doesn't work for me works for them. And I don't want to be the one that ruins that for that person. Right. Like if they have something that they really love, I don't want to come, come and rain on the parade. On the other hand, it's, if it's you also don't hard ever because when, say something negative, right? Then it makes it seem like everything is on the same level as everything else, and that's not the case. Right. There are some things that are just better than others. I, I want our listeners for one second because we've had this discussion so many times, Robbie, you and I, to put themselves in our shoes for a second. Because one, we want to be the bringers of positivity. Like that's our favorite thing about this podcast is that we found something we loved. And we wanted to share in that joy together. And we wanted to spread that excitement to other people, which I feel like we do a pretty good job of. And so for the most part, that's where we lean. Right. But on the other hand, like that doesn't mean everything we watch we're super into. In fact, there's a lot of things that we're not into. And so there's even been times on this podcast, even in the MCU, I think, Robbie, where you and I have watched a movie and just been like, I don't love that. Like I'm not super passionate about it. And we've had to have the discussion of what do we do about that? Because if someone else loves it, I don't want to be the person to rain on your parade. But at the same time, not everything can be the best. And it's just a weird struggle. It's a really weird struggle. I know. it's well, And and it's tricky because, you know, I think you and I talked about this a lot when we were (laughs) when we were having those Captain Marvel discussions all the time. There is an element to this. When you're a fan of a certain franchise or a certain property, you almost don't want to admit that any one chapter or piece of that franchise is weak because by doing that, you're sort of admitting that the whole thing is a little bit tainted. I don't think you have to view it that way, but I think some people do view it that way. Like I think like Star Wars is a really interesting example of that because it's this expanding universe and there's so many different kinds of things. And I think- Literally do not get me started. Please stop <laughs> on the Star Wars. It, it, it's like you, I think there are people that love the original trilogy so much and have loved, you know, there are some people that love the original trilogy and, and they just have sort of closed that off and they don't care about anything else. And that's sort of on on one extreme end of these things. On the other end, I think there are people that love the original trilogy so much that it's grown into a love for the entire universe and they love this entire story that's unfolding and they don't really want to admit when a certain installment is weak because that somehow ruins all of it. And I get that, you know, because if you're going to view that all as one narrative, then yeah, this is part of the narrative. And that's, you know, if it's canon. But on the other hand, like, I, I hear people say things like, well, you know, if you don't like this, then that's just the same thing as the original trilogy. Like, if you think this is silly, well, so is the original trilogy. And it's like, yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. But there's a reason why everybody, <laughs> why everyone agrees that that Empire Strikes Back was incredible and that certain newer Star Wars releases are, are not. Whoa, Whoa. <laughs> Shots fired. Okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing really quickly. I am going even deeper into this recently and finding out this weird truth about mega fandoms. I saw this the other day in context of Spider-Man 
Because I think like Spider-Man fandom is very similar to Star Wars fandom. Like yeah. there are people that just love it in general. But if you go even deeper beyond that, Robbie, I'm noticing there's like people that are so hyper focused on it that they almost hate it or dislike things about it. Like nothing hmm. can be good enough. I mean, I saw the other day on my Twitter that Spider-Man was trending and it was because there was a group of people that were saying the PS4 version of Spider-Man is a terrible adaptation. I, I saw that. And, and part of the reason there's like this movement is because they claim that this version of Peter is already fully developed, but he's never faced some of his biggest villains. Like, cause you haven't faced Doc Ock in the game. And I'm like, that is the dumbest critique I have ever heard in right. anything. And it reminds me of what happened to me with Star Wars. I'm a recovering Star Wars fan. I'm a recovering <laughs> fan. I grew up my whole life, thought it was so fun to be a part of. And then all of a sudden, I walked out of the theater from The Last Jedi and thought, that was so fresh. That was so fresh. The, the light speed travel thing was so cool. The hologram mm -hmm. force stuff was so fresh. I hadn't seen that before. The battle on the salt planet looked visually as cool as I've ever seen anything in Star Wars look with the uh -huh. walkers and like it looked like blood everywhere because of the salt. I thought that was so cool. What a fresh take. And then all of a sudden I just got crushed by these mega fans pointing at like, we've never seen the Force do that. It doesn't right. do that. We know the Force can't do I'm like, what are you talking about? It's a move. It's a story. Right. They're trying to make a new story. And literally, I argued so much that it just burned me out. It burned me out. I don't care anymore. I don't care about Star Wars anymore. It's so sad. Right. And I'm noticing that even in, like, Spider-Man community. Like, deep down there, there's some weird stuff like that, Rob. It's like, what in the world? But do you know what I'm talking about now? Yeah. Do you understand no, my No, no, for sure. No, like I, I, I 100% get what you're saying. And I think it's just an interesting, like we talked about this some with Spider-Man as we were looking at the, like the amazing Spider-Man film. There's this element of needing to, like, and I think the, the Spider-Man PS4 game is an interesting example of this. Needing to knock things down that people generally love and then sort of simultaneously elevating the things that, that people don't love and so you're saying, look, this thing's overrated. My thing's underrated. They're actually both good. And and therefore, like, I get to save this thing that I care about. And again, I think it's totally fine if you're someone that thinks that, like, the original Amazing Spider-Man movie is the best ever Spider-Man movie. Like, that's totally fine. Like, that is, that is an opinion that is very valid to have. I don't feel that way. But I do think it's funny, like, because I, I, that's how I see these conversations come up, right? Like, it's like the, I told you the other day, I remember when criticism first started coming out about the Hobbit movies, there was a, there was a group of people that, again, they didn't want to admit that, that something within this movie universe that they love so much was not great. So they, they go back and start saying, well, look, if you think this thing about the Hobbit movies is bad, it was in the Lord of the Rings too. So you must be saying that those are bad because these are the same thing and they're equal. <laughs> and it's like- So you hate all of it. <laughs> You're not a real right. fan. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, okay, well, you know, listen, there's a reason why one of these things has 11 Oscars and the other one averages like 60% or lower on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, it's not, it's not all the same and you don't need to bump one up and move one down. It's just like, it's fine. Just like the things you like. And anyway, you're right. But I feel like it's something that 
has been weighing on my mind. It is such a strange phenomenon. I think the last thing I want to close it with, Robbie, is it's really, really important to remember with this stuff that those loud people on Twitter are such a small faction of humanity. Like, it's right. always important to remember that is not the overwhelming perspective. Like, overwhelmingly, people agree the Spider-Man PS4 game is, is unbelievable. It was up for game of the year, okay, of all games. So right, right. I just got to remember that sometimes. Well, like and, when I read one tweet like that that has like 100 people that retweeted it, I'm like, what are you 100 doing? But then I'm like, wait, that's 100 out of the 100 million people that played it or whatever. Right. So just stay well, and, calm. And <laughs> it's, it's worth noting as long as we're talking about the Spider-Man game that I think this week, as of this week, the, the first Spider-Man game is the number one PlayStation game, period. And Miles Morales is the number three with God of War taking up that number two slot. So, I mean, not only critically have those games been well-received, but just in terms of commercial numbers, they are literally at the very top of the of the list. So, and, and by the way, the PlayStation 5 was also the, the hottest console of the year so far, or at least of January. So you've got the, the number one gaming console and the number one games for the number one gaming console are Spider-Man games. And so I think that you can say <laughs> that they're not good, but you've got a lot of other people weighing on the other side of that. That is 100% also a No Way Home bump for sure. Oh, people yeah. People walking out of that movie going, I want to play that game now, 100%. So next on the docket, the reason this episode is titled what it is, because I think it's time for us to use our platform just a little bit to talk mm -hmm. about these Oscars. I have some hot takes on this and I've given myself some time to cool down on it a little bit, but I want to play this clip first before I get into it, Robbie. This is from Jimmy Kimmel on his late night show. I think this happened like a week ago. Uh -huh. Just talking about the fact that Spider-Man No Way Home didn't receive any kind of best picture nomination biggest snub today, in my opinion, and I'm actually even angry about this, I'm kind of embarrassed to say, is uh, the unforgivable omission of Spider-Man No Way Home. How did <laughs> that not get one of the 10 nominations for Best Picture? There are only 11 movies made this year. Forget the fact that, forget the fact that the movie made $750 million and is still going. This was a great movie. It wasn't in the top 10 best movies of the year. There were three Spider-Men in it. <laughs> One of them was Andrew Garfield, who's a Best Actor nominee. Benedict Cumberbatch played Doctor Strange. He's another Best Actor nominee. You're telling me Don't Look Up was better than Spider-Man? It most certainly was not. <laughs> Even if you go by the critics' reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, Don't Look Up, the top critics got a 46. Spider-Man has a 90. For God's sake, Jackass Forever has an 89. <laughs> Why do they have to be serious what I'm saying? When did that become a prerequisite to getting nominated for an Academy Award? Here's what happened. You want to know what happened? The Academy voters, they looked at the list, they saw the names Leo DiCaprio and Meryl Streep, and they checked that box, and then they put their kids in the car and they went to see the movie Spider-Man. And they loved it. But they didn't vote for it. Okay, so a few things I want to point out here. One thing that I loved is, A, his talk about when did the Oscars have to become so serious? Like, why is being serious a prerequisite mm -hmm. for being in the best picture category? 
And one thing that this clip didn't play that I loved was he talked about how <laughs> originally Best Picture nominees were movies like Wizard of Oz and Mickey Mouse on an acid trip, I think is one of his jokes, he said. <laughs> but, like, that's kind of true. I feel like that's part of it, that if you are a movie that makes you feel good on the way out, a.k.a. superhero movies, most of the time, you're already at a disadvantage. Yeah, well, and I think even that's interesting because there are certain types of feel-good movies that I think can have success at the Oscars, but they have to be kind of real bittersweet, like very introspective, quiet, relation-based films, which I love. For instance, there's a film called Drive My Car that's nominated that Candace and I saw about a week before the nominations came out. That's fantastic. It's this three-hour meditation on really just this this one relationship or, or arguably kind of two relationships and a man dealing with the fallout of, of a loss. And it's really sweet. It's funny at times. It's heartbreaking at times. And I think it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. I would be very happy if it won Best Picture. But I don't think that that's the only kind of film that should be getting nominations for Best Picture. And I don't I don't really get how we wound up in the spot where right. you have to be that kind of movie to be taken seriously. Well, and when did that shift? That's what Kimmel's getting at here, too, because, like you always bring up, Lord of the Rings, what was it, 11 Oscars? Yeah. Lord of the Rings won or nominated? One. One yeah. 11 Oscars. Like, when did that shift? Lord of the Rings makes you feel mostly good. It's mostly a pump-up movie, and it's sci-fi in genre or fantasy. Right. I mean, it's similar. It's not that far off from Spider-Man. Um, and yet, that was just 20 years ago? And so right. when did that shift? Like, why did that go away? The second part I liked with Kimmel was just the fact that there's so few movies that came out this year, and they they increased the category to 10 nominees for the first time ever. So you're telling me <laughs> Spider-Man wasn't one of the 10 best movies to even give a nod? Now, where I need to be a little careful is I didn't watch all these. Like, I haven't seen Don't Look Up. But I haven't heard great things, like Kimmel is saying. Right. And so that's frustrating to me. The third thing is, like I always bring up, are they running the risk of losing touch with the audience a little bit? Because there was multiple outlets and people that spoke out against this. I don't know if you saw the Kevin Smith thing. He was mad about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but just because he, the movie made $750 million in the box office domestically. And... As Kimmel points out, the critic score is 90-something percent. So I just don't know right. what else it would have to do. And that's what gets me so frustrated is if this can't do it, what is going to do it? Well, and and that's why, I mean, I, I think Endgame to me is still the biggest crime. For which sure. I mean, here, there, there are elements here where it's even more egregious just because the fact that Spider-Man did what it did in a pandemic year like when you look at what it could have done in 2019, you know, who knows? But it is frustrating that certain types of achievements are just discounted entirely. Like I, I think what we've talked about this over and over again, but like what Endgame did in bringing together all these stories and still having a very moving central narrative, particularly around Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark, and that it's just, oh, well, you know, it's a superhero movie so obviously we're not going to 
to consider that because it's not it it's it's not even a serious film, right? It's just kind of a popcorn movie. And I think I, I think that's what's so interesting about what what Kimmel and, and folks like Kevin Smith are saying. Cause I I saw some pushback on the internet where folks are like, look, you know, these movies are like at the at the top of these charts of highest grossing films ever. You know, they're they're in the center of the cultural zeitgeist. There's so much Marvel content. Why are Marvel fans so offended just because they don't get Oscars? Like, why are Marvel fans so greedy that they need so much recognition for all of their content all the time? And I don't feel like that's what it is. Like, it's not like I'm, I'm as a Marvel fan, greedy for more recognition or something like that. I think what's just frustrating is that same conversation you and I always have where, like, things are just lumped into these dumb categories of like a fun film that you know you can go see on a Friday night and have a good time but obviously it shouldn't be considered cinema and then you know a film that does meet that criteria because I think that those categories are just kind of nonsense like that's what I want I want the stereotype to change that I don't I'm not greedy for more awards I don't care if the movie makes more money for Tom Holland or for John Watts, like right. that's not what I'm dying for. I I don't like that. Even at the beginning of the Kimmel clip, did you notice the very first line he said? I'm almost kind of embarrassed to say this, and that's what I don't like. I don't like that there is like this shroud over. If you admit that Endgame was a better movie than the other movies that year, uh-huh. you're almost put in a box like you're saying that it's not cinema, or you don't know what you're talking about because Spider-Man No Way Home cannot be as good as Don't Look Up. And it's like, that stereotype is what needs to be changed. Oh, yeah. I mean, on my my Letterboxd profile, which if you're listening and you don't know, it's that's a, an app where you can sort of record your, your movie watching and post some reviews that a lot of the folks on our Slack have gotten into. But you, you pick your top four films. And I've even been self-conscious in the past about having Endgame as one of mine because I know people will look at that, you know, like my my like highfalutin movie friends and be like, oh, well, you know, Avengers Endgame, like if you want to count that. And it's like, I think it's... That's what I mean. It's so frustrating. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's strange because like, here's an example. I love Quentin Tarantino movies. We've talked about this before. And Tarantino gets a lot of, of love at award shows. And like, I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was nominated for Best Picture. I loved that movie. But that movie, that movie's silly and ridiculous at times. Like, a lot of it is. But because it's silly and ridiculous in its own kind of specific way that doesn't verge into any kind of, like, sci-fi elements or anything to do with, with super-powered people, it's, it's the okay kind of ridiculous and fun to where it can actually be considered a real film. I just, I, I, that doesn't make, like, there are these, the, the lines blur to me in, in ways that I, I think make the stigma against Marvel movies so frustrating. And I think it, I don't know, to me, I think it goes back to the conversation you and I have been having for a long time about the specific quality that I think Marvel has been able to achieve that other superhero movies largely haven't. I was listening to this interview with Jerry Conway, who's an old Amazing Spider-Man writer. Um, and this was actually on the Amazing Spider-Talk podcast with Dan Gavazdan that we've, we've had on here. Um, 
and it was an old interview where they were talking about The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which we also reviewed. If you're curious, um, you can go back and find that on Friends from Work Plus. But kind of talking about why that movie doesn't work. And, and, you know, that movie came out right, like we talked about, whenever all these different studios were trying to copy the MCU. And they were just talking through all of that. And I thought Jerry said something that was really wise and I've been thinking about ever since. And he said, you know, maybe the problem is people are trying to copy the wrong things. Like people are looking at the, at the success of Marvel studios and learning the wrong lesson, which is, Oh, well, like if we have an interconnected universe, Oh, if we do all these, all these like little plot payoff things, then we'll also have a massively successful franchise. And he said, I think what people are missing is that (laughs) you also have to have good writing and good characters and good performances And I think that the fact that there are so many superhero movies and sci-fi franchises that that don't do those things well, Marvel's just lumped in with all of those. It's like, oh, they're just relying on on like fan enthusiasm all the time and Easter eggs and whatever. And like it's not, you know, it's all the articles that came out whenever Spider-Man No Way Home released where people are like people need to stop clapping during movies because that's not what movies are about. (laughs) Where it's like everyone gets so, so upset about these superhero movies only being like fan servicey or something that they're not even willing to consider. Like, well, maybe they're actually, like maybe people are responding like that because they're telling a moving story. That's really interesting you bring that up because that almost ties back to our first discussion today, which is just that, we play a little bit of a role in that too, I think. Not that we can affect the Oscars, but... The friendlies. <laughs> the friendlies, yeah. But no, but when we <laughs> elevate the things that aren't good, yes. like when we spend so much time elevating the things that aren't good, then that makes it easier for those people to lump all of these things in one category. Whereas if we try to change these other people's perspective and say, well, within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Thor is not a great movie. It's not great, and I'm willing to admit that. But Avengers Endgame and Spider-Man No Way Home are great movies. And I always think Mm -hmm. of the lens of, like, my brother, right, (laughs) where I say he's not into this and and doesn't get into this stuff at all. But he really liked Thor Ragnarok, for example, and that's where I need people to change their opinion. It's like, yeah, not all superhero movies are great. That's why you and I don't have a podcast that covers everything, right? Because we wanted to cover the things we loved, not just – generic superhero films and again that's not saying we're the ultimate authority and all that stuff but when we try to say that everything that's not great is great then it just lumps it all into the same category and that's what we're trying to fight on this podcast so i love that you kind of brought that all together one last thing on the oscars robbie Mm -hmm. one of our listeners sent this clip to a adam ruins everything episode Uh which is a show where this guy goes through for like seven minutes, all these famous things like the NFL and, and causes you to maybe think differently on said topic, right? He basically points out some of the things behind the scenes that you may not know. But I watched the one on Adam ruins the award shows. And I guess Mm -hmm. I didn't realize how much of it is political and money driven. Right. He basically talks about because how like with the golden globes, for example, people know who are part of the Hollywood foreign press. Like they know the 87 people I think it is. So they get schmoozed, they get bought out basically. 
they get to go to special right. events with the actors from the film and concerts and they get money sent to certain things and billboards are everywhere they go. So that by the time they go to vote, they're like, oh yeah, I, I do think Leonardo DiCaprio should win. Cause I've seen, right. I've heard his name a million times and I was with Leonardo DiCaprio at this one thing. And by the way, I love Leo, but you know what I'm saying? Right. So I didn't realize the extent that money and politics was kind of behind it too. Yeah. Which I mean, you know, again, like on the politics side, I, I feel like Kevin Feige has made comments like that where it's just, it, it seems like they have decided just not to really work with Marvel Studios in that way. Like, I think some people had thought No Way Home might be the exception because Amy Pascal has had some success in the past. And people thought that maybe she had a type of relationship with the relevant folks within the Academy that Kevin Feige doesn't, you know, obviously that's, that's not proven to be impactful enough, but I, I think like my, my closing thought, and I'm curious to hear people's response on this is just that like, it would be one thing. Like I thought Jimmy Kimmel did a, a pointing out, like, don't look up. Like that's a great example. It would be one thing if we're talking about Spider-Man, no way home. And then every other, Parasite. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, or like Drive My Car, like I was talking about. Every other film is this like top tier, crazy high rated, just beautiful example of filmmaking. At yeah. that point, I would be like, okay, you know what? Like all of these movies are beautiful works of art. And yeah, I wish Spider-Man was in there, but I also get that these are all deserving as well. But it's not just this year with Don't Look Up. It's every year. There are always these movies that slip in that everyone's always like, what the heck is this doing here? Because it's got like in the 50s on Rotten Tomatoes or the 60s and nobody saw it. And most of the people that did see it didn't like it. But for some reason, it's got the, it's got this weird like Oscar buzz around it. Like I remember a couple of years ago, the Hillbilly Elegy movie came out. And had a ton of buzz around it because it was it was Amy Adams and Glenn Close and that book had been huge in the kind of immediate post-Trump election era. But then like it got terrible reviews, but was still kind of getting this Oscar buzz. And it's like that's the stuff that really frustrates you is it's like, okay, even whenever a movie is generally just not well received because it's it's seen as being like the the right genre, it gets the nomination over another movie that's maybe not the right genre, but is just universally more well loved. Like that doesn't make any sense. Right. Okay. My two closing thoughts. One, I wonder if, and I mess this name up every time, Robbie, Oh, Denis Villeneuve, which I used to call Dennis Villeneuve, which is not his name. We looked it up. <laughs> Remember that? Denis yeah, oh, I'm not even Villeneuve. Try. It's it's French or something. I'm so sorry. I have so much respect for him. I wonder if he's going to be the person to kind of change this a little bit because he's starting to get his movies nominated and they're borderline sci-fi. Like Arrival was nominated for Best Picture, if I remember right. Ooh, fact check me on that. And then Blade Runner was nominated for a bunch of stuff. And right. now he got nominated for Dune here. So I wonder if that maybe can be the entrance. Like for some reason, his movies are accepted. Christopher Nolan's often aren't, but his are. But on the other hand, and I liked Dune a lot. Like, don't get me wrong, I like Dune. I don't think Dune is better than Spider-Man No Way Home. It was a part one. It's sci-fi. 
it's kind of slower. Like visually it's impressive. I get it. But like, uh-huh. I don't know if the story itself is any better than the story they're telling in Spider-Man No Way Home. So on one hand, I, I'm thankful he's maybe going to be the person to kind of potentially usher some of that change. Right. On the other hand, it just points out that I don't think it's fair again. Like Dune was nominated for Best Picture, but I did really like Dune. So don't hear me right. say I didn't. Well, and and it's you talk about ushering ushering in, and one I I also I love Dune, and I love the I mean you you know you have a stat cast there, and again like that's one that I'm great with seeing because it's a very well made movie. Like like I feel like that's something like like to your point where you can sort of set aside genre and just be like, look, you know, like this was a, a well-constructed thing. Right. But, but how is no way home? Not a stacked cast by the way. Oh no, exactly. A- well, and also, you know, very, I think when we've talked about the kind of balancing act of that movie, I do think we should point out, you know, obviously black Panther won several Oscars and Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse won an Oscar for best animated picture. So it's not that it, can never happen. True. But I think, you know, in the case of End of the Spider-Verse, one, I do think that that is an incredible film, but it's also an animated film. And I think that, you know, people see that as, okay, well, yeah, you can tell kind of crazy, far-fetched, like, superhero stories in that that context, and that's fine. You know, I I don't think that animated movies are only for kids, but I think that that's sort of the perception within the Academy. And then Black Panther, I think, got the recognition it did because of the larger story it was telling about the, the black community. And I think the work it was doing there sort of elevated it in people's eyes above just a normal superhero movie, which I think, again, is very fair. Like, I think that that was a cultural phenomenon for a reason that went beyond just the, the kind of MCU element of that movie. And I, I guess what I would like to see is those films still be recognized for those reasons, but also like that's still playing back into the, well, it, it can only be nominated if it's got like a larger message and does it have to have a larger message? To, to get recognition, like to Kimball's point, can it just be a really, really great story? My last closing thought, the Oscars are now doing a fan favorite category. Did you see this on Twitter? I that did. Fans can now vote for, and it's going to be a new thing, which I can't help but take it as a, they're trying to make up for Spider-Man No Way Home not being in there. Like Spider-Man's going to win that, I think. Right. And then, I guess I'm happy that at least Spider-Man will make it into the ceremony because of that. But then I'm also not happy because that plays right into the same stereotype. It's like they're like, well, it can't be in the best picture category, but don't worry. We'll create a fan favorite MTV style category that you all can vote on. So you're happy. I can't help but take it that way. Oh, no, it's pretty patronizing. Yeah, it's like I don't want it in the fan favorite category. I want it in the best picture category, guys. Get it right. Or, or just any substantive awards, right? Like, even if it's not Best Picture, like, Best Supporting Actor for somebody. Like, we had such a crazy, like, to your point, such a crazy cast. Like, it's not like we're asking for well, Best Picture or bust, you know? Right. Well, you're right about that typically. In this specific case, I kind of am asking for Best Picture. Like, if I was objective, I would say Spider-Man fits in Best Picture category. I'm not sure it fits in the other 
awards this year. But like Endgame could have been different. Like Endgame didn't need to be best picture, but Robert Downey Jr. should have been best actor. Yeah, that's that's nominated fair. at least. That's what I mean. Like I want to go case by case is my point, and not just yeah. lump these all yeah. in the same I, category. So I agree with you. I I was expecting. I was legitimately thinking Jakino might get a nod for the No Way. That's Home another score. one. That's another one. Like he absolutely should have gotten a nod. Yep. Wow. Okay. Anyways, on that note, <laughs> we got to talk about the massive bombshell. This trailer, Doctor Strange 2, that came out. <laughs> and this is maybe where TikTok's going to come in handy because I posted a couple stories on Instagram just basically being like, what? I thought it was an <laughs> excellent trailer from a trailer perspective. So let's get into Doctor Strange 2. We should tell him the truth. dive into some of these easter eggs robbie can i just say trailer wise i feel like that was a step up we often complain about the trailers i don't mm-hmm. know how many marvel trailers are super super memorable but i really liked this one this was my scene yeah this trailer was so good like because i you also I, still have no idea what's happening i have yes, no exactly. idea that's what i was gonna say yeah they, uh, they, th- this feels like a JJ Abrams trailer in the best way to me. My second disclaimer about this is if you are looking for every detail you missed or all of the Easter eggs you missed from this trailer, there are better outlets out there for you than friends from work. We pride ourselves in adding joy to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, adding excitement and reviewing things for you but there are definitely better outlets for finding every detail. One of which is I watched the new rock stars breakdown of this trailer, which by the way, I had no idea they went that in depth. I think the video is like 30 <laughs> minutes long. I'm like, Holy cow. They went into every single thing you could possibly think of from this trailer. I which, mean, they go like frame a, by frame, right? Frame by frame screenshots of frames, zoom in, like make things look a little more high def to see if they can figure out what it is. It's cr- it's crazy. So like people have done like 8K enhancements of like <laughs> things in the background. It's just I'm going to just say this one time, it was amazing to see. Be careful how deep you go into this because one, I don't think you want to actually figure something out, right? I don't think you want to know because if you actually right. stumble upon something and it's correct, then you kind of ruin something for you. As people on this podcast know, we're not going to get our soapbox again. Robbie and I are very sensitive to that. We want to enjoy the story for the story's sake. We don't want to enjoy it as the people that were the first people to figure something out. So again, that's not us as much. The other disclaimer is just be careful because these trailers are often intentionally edited differently. 
so that you don't know what's going on. I'll say the same example I always say. In Infinity War, the famous trailer, Hulk is running in the background. We later know Hulk's not even in the movie. So just know they do intentionally edit things so that you don't guess what's going to happen. Right. All that being said, off my soapbox, holy balls. The trailer was amazing. I learned a lot from the new Rockstars video. But the two things I want you to more fully explain to me as a comics guy is what's a comic background on the Illuminati and this other character that seems to be showing up a ton out of nowhere in this trailer that I hadn't heard about at all. Yeah. Um, That's I mean, your mission. <laughs> okay. Okay. Should I, you choose I, so. to accept it? <laughs> oh, oh, you beat me to it. Wow. Mission impossible. Which, hey, is, is fitting because there's also some Tom Cruise chatter swirling around. Oh, look at that transition. Let's go. <laughs> um, okay. So, yeah. Wow. First, there is, you know, I feel like the big, big takeaway initially, at least, when this premiered during the Super Bowl was the potential Patrick Stewart appearance there. Um, oh. And it's seeming like Strange is being escorted by some Ultron robots, Ultron-looking robots, to a council of folks who we don't see. Um, but the one voice that we hear is someone that sounds like Patrick Stewart. Now, like we've talked about, I think we talked about this in our very last episode, there have always been rumors swirling around that some folks from these legacy titles like the X-Men movies or the old Fantastic Four movies could be showing up in Multiverse of Madness. And so I think that's, you know, it, it was easier for people to make the jump to, oh, you know, this is Professor X. And then that combined with this council is what has people talking about the Illuminati. Which one main theory that I've heard with that is this potentially a multiversal Illuminati. And that's how they twist this. But maybe oh, there's right. like one person from each multiverse, which is like Fox, Sony, et cetera. Right. In charge here. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Well, so so there are a couple different things that I could that I could see happening. Just so people know before I go any further, the Illuminati is a group that Brian Michael Bendis created uh, back in the mid 2000s around the secret invasion time period. And it's it's a really interesting idea that Jonathan Hickman then took and expanded on and did some really, really great storytelling with. But the idea is that the the smartest members of the Marvel Universe at the time, um, each kind of representing a different sect, decide to come together and basically make decisions for Earth, like on behalf of Earth, without telling anybody. And it's supposed to be a little bit of a morally questionable thing that initially, whenever they kind of come and propose this, even... T'Challa, who is later a member of the Illuminati, says, like, I'm not going to be any part of this because you're basically, you're saying that you know best just because everyone here is super smart that you're not even going to give other people the opportunity to weigh in. You're just going to decide that you know what everyone else needs. And so you have in the comics, Professor X kind of representing the mutant community. You have Black Bolt representing the Inhumans, um, which is a group we haven't talked about a ton here. You have Tony Stark, Doctor Strange, and Reed Richards. 
Reed Richards winds up being a really big part of that because Reed is always, Reed is really in the comics, the stand-in for what Tony became in the MCU. And that Reed is the, is the guy that always has a solution. He can kind of always use his brain to think himself out of a situation, but also sometimes get himself into more trouble. And that's the other side of this that I think I see being explored here is in Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four comics, he explored the idea of a council of reeds. Uh, Rick and Morty fans will recognize that some of this has been pulled into Rick and Morty with uh, all of the Ricks. But the idea was that there is a Reed Richards in all of these different realities, and they're all basically the smartest person within their respective Earth. And they wind up all discovering interdimensional travel and all wind up joining together to basically make these decisions, not just now on behalf of their planet, but on behalf of all reality because they've decided not only are they the smartest person in each of their realities, but they together are the smartest people in all reality. So they're now oh. taking it upon themselves <laughs> to to guard over everyone. And again, you kind of see the morally questionable parts it's a of bold this. Call. <laughs> no right. doubt. So that was part, sort of what pinged in my brain when I saw this is, is I wonder if it's a combination of those two groups um, where it maybe is kind of a, something spanning across realities, but maybe it's instead of just all different reads, you have these different kind of uh, wise figureheads from different Marvel properties. Um, and yeah, maybe well, one of those like in the comics would be professor X. You'll like this because I did some research on Wikipedia and it reads really funny when you just kind of briefly read the summary of the Illuminati in two paragraphs, I'm sure it's a thing that spanned multiple years. And so it's kind of funny to see it boiled down into two paragraphs. But the one thing I learned is that, yes, like you're saying, kind of each faction was represented here. So like Tony Stark represented the Avengers right. and Professor X represented the mutants, et cetera, et cetera. It was formed because these people had been tricked by the scroll invasion. And so in an effort to not get tricked again, they were like, we'll meet and they'll say like, hey, let's get the mutants involved or just the Avengers are like, we'll decide when it needs to be a multi-faceted attack. But what's funny reading that is like in the Wikipedia, they're like, but then it also went awry because someone, someone turned out to be a scroll and then they defeated this. And then that person ended up turning out to be a scroll. And it's like, it reads <laughs> kind of like a joke where it's like, they still can't get it figured out. Um, right. Sorry if that offended a bunch of comic people. <laughs> no, it is it is funny anytime you see that stuff. Yeah. Like, reduced. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> yeah. But um, but anyways, I was gonna say it seems like a big takeaway was like you said it occurred around Secret Invasion. But again, because of the way we've done scrolls already, I just wonder how that's gonna be different. And I wonder if instead of Secret Invasion, it's more multiversal. Right, so instead of it being right. more scroll based, it's more multiversal based. I think that's and important. that's what Jonathan Hickman did with the Illuminati. Like he took it to the next to the next step and sort of made while he had his Avengers comic running that that we've talked about on here. He also had New Avengers, which was basically the Illuminati team dealing with what wound up culminating in Secret Wars, and so it could very much be our one. It makes sense that those characters would appear in a movie called Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. 
And two, it could also be a really big bridge to a potential Secret Wars film. At some point, we probably have hours and hours worth of discussion we could have about how we feel about all this. Mm -hmm. Because I am so excited for this movie. The trailer got me so sufficiently pumped up. I can't wait. But you know how I feel about, holy cow, this could potentially be a lot. If we start adding the mutants, if Professor X does bring in mutants, if Black Bolt brings in Inhumans with Miss Marvel, that's a lot of characters right there that we just lumped in. That's a like hundreds, basically. Right. Um, and then on top of that, there's the whole discussion on how do we feel about this Iron Man talk. Like, is Tony Stark going to be a part of this Illuminati? Will it be a Robert Downey Jr. cameo? How do you feel about that? Will it be an alternate version with Tom Cruise? How do you feel about that? I have no mm -hmm. idea. I have a lot of feelings I need to process. I, I don't think I want an RDJ cameo. Like, I think I want Robert to be done. And that's coming from someone who, that was my favorite character. Right. But I just think it makes it even more impactful every time he's not there at this point. I think you do some damage by bringing him back, even if it's a variant, even if it's a cameo. Like, yeah, stick I to one of these deaths, I think. That's where I'm at, I think. So, yeah. Am I going to be okay with a Tom Cruise Iron Man? I, I got I to gotta wrestle with a lot of things. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I My my initial reaction was that I, I think I would be okay with, I think I would be okay with a, with a brief cameo, but I think maybe it would be better as a, as a different actor, even if it's not, even if it's not Tom Cruise. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think I would be upset. I don't think it would cheapen it for me just because. No, I mean, we've been hesitant before and they were right before, you know, we were hesitant with no way home and they pulled it off. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if, if he would do it, you know, unless they like re made it really financially <laughs> compelling. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, he he feels even more nervous about it than me, I think. Every interview I've ever seen, he's kind of like, I don't know that the character needs to come back. So right. I think it would take a lot of convincing with him specifically. Yeah, no, I agree. I I I, I do think in general we are going to need another Tony Stark-esque character. Like this was a conversation that came up on the Slack if we do start moving towards the secret wars um, and maybe that's Reed Richards. I mean, that's sort of the natural thing. We know a, a fantastic four movies coming. And I just got finished saying that in the comics, that's sort of how that character has, has worked. You know, there was some conversation about, well, maybe, you know, instead of Tony, it's, it's some other kind of Iron Man from that universe. And I don't know that that's the answer. No, no. You know, like, I think it needs to be <laughs> no. someone with that, like, <laughs> with that unique kind of hubris that Tony has. That's one part I didn't think about ever. When I brought up that I wanted John Krasinski to play Reed Richards, I guess I didn't realize the extent in the comics that he's witty, quippy, Tony Stark-esque. Because if that's the case, that's not how I picture John. I know John well, is Jim Halpert, but the funny he's not, I, like, mean-spirited. Almost. Right. Well, so that's the thing. I don't, I wouldn't say he's quippy and funny like Tony is. He's just really, I think if anything, he's kind cocky? of cocky. He's well, he's really, yeah, cocky's maybe, but even that I would say more arrogant, um, which I know is a synonym, but I feel like cocky has the connotation of being a bit more like freewheeling. And I feel like Reed is, 
he's very self serious. Um, he's very analytic, okay. almost like like vision esque, except oh, um, except you know with some more ego involved, <laughs> just like in terms of the way that I could see that character being played. Okay, could John Krasinski pull it off? Question mark. I think I think so. Um, okay. Although you know, again, I'm curious to see like if they make if they make Jonathan Majors character a Richards somehow. I'm curious to see like how that would impact the portrayal of of Reed. Like if they would want a character that's kind of more in line with like that depiction. Right. I don't know. And who's even there? We don't even know that. We don't even know. Like, could it be Mordo there? Could it be that right. alternate Doctor Strange there? Could some version of T'Challa be there or Iron Man, Reed Richards? Like, wow, there's a lot there. <laughs> there's a lot going on. Also, right. that might be a part of his dream. Um, That's also true. Before we get to the other part, which is that character I want to talk about, a couple key things too. Like, it does seem like Wanda is trying to find her kids. That still seems to be like the the premise <laughs> in the new mm-hmm. Rockstars video. If you zoom in on her eyes, it looks like she's looking at the two holding cells in the Illuminati building where maybe her kids are held. Um, hmm. Also, there's some Captain Marvel looking figure. Some people have guessed: is it Maria? Is it is it a variant of Captain Marvel? Is it Photon? Is it Tom Cruise's suit? Actually. Uh, there's a lot of speculation there, but that person is clearly fighting Superior Wanda. Iron Man, some people have said. But that person's fighting Wanda. So does Wanda then go to the Illuminati meeting, if it's real, and try to take it down? Right. And then I wonder if that's where we get into the discussion of, well, is Wanda a villain? And I'm I'm thinking they're not going to just say, no, Wanda's not the villain. Like, Wanda's not going to be the one causing all this. But I could see, like I've been saying, I could see it being a thing where Wanda's like, I'm not the villain, but I want my kids back, and I don't like the way you guys are handling this, so I'm taking it down. You know what I mean? (laughs) And you're not going to stop me. And that's why the best line in the whole thing is what she says to Strange. You mess with reality, and you become a hero. I do it, and I'm the villain. Doesn't seem like that's very fair. I love how she says that. Oh, gosh. It gives me chills just listening to her say that. Her delivery. That doesn't seem fair. Of that line. There could not be a better fit for this role with the whole costume on with the crown and everything. I couldn't, I can't picture being anybody else at this point. I'm that passionate no. about it. Dude. I got so pumped up by every Elizabeth Olsen appearance in that trailer. It looks so like that I is have chills right now. How about when he just <laughs> says Wanda and she opens her eyes from her meditation. Are you yeah. kidding? It doesn't seem fair. I mean, what have they done to me? How did they take me from, She's in Age of Ultron, and I don't really care to – she opens her eyes, and I get chills. Like, how did that happen? That Something right. happened. There was an evolution there that I'm just as into as I've been – I mean, she's my saving grace, Robbie. When I was nervous, will I care about the MCU as much without Tony Stark? They said, here's Elizabeth Olsen. And I said, thank right. you. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Even her referencing Vision gets me chills. Yes, Viz. Man, I, I also – one – I love that we're getting some Michael Waldron writing again because we've talked about how much we enjoyed his work in Loki. And I noticed in that trailer, I mean, he's credited as the writer. Like, it's not like him and a team. Yes. 
I saw it's credited too. as just written by Michael Waldron. Um, and he's good. And the lines, he's really good at it. Man, especially this kind of stuff. Like, I feel like he's he's just got a knack for doing this crazy, trippy... Philosophical like, stuff. Yeah, yes, exactly. Like, these, like, really big, wild sci-fi premises, but also tied to these kind of philosophical questions that are, in some ways, like a lot more accessible. It's like this really interesting dynamic and, and dichotomy that he can set up. But specifically, yeah, I'm just loving the way he's writing He's writing Wanda. And it actually makes me wonder, I was thinking about this with us just recently watching the WandaVision finale. This is going to be an interesting transition, like to see how Marvel treats WandaVision in the Doctor Strange movie. Because apparently they're really, really referencing it. I mean, there's multiple times. Oh, for sure. But I'm wondering, like, are surely they're going to assume that there are people coming to see the new Doctor Strange movie that haven't seen WandaVision? Uh, true. So I'm curious, like, how much they feel the need to kind of recap what happened there, um, or how much they're just going to be like, no, look, you know, if you didn't see it, you missed out. One last thing on Wanda, really quickly. I know I just said this, but that performance of that line, even though it's a trailer, it's so subtle. But I think they're exploring the route I want because in the way she says that, when she just says like, it doesn't seem fair. It's not the typical like ego arrogant thing, right? From Marvel. It's not that she's pissed off or angry, but in that one line, it's almost chilling. She's so confident in her abilities now and her strength, as Agatha said, her powers could even exceed that of the Sorcerer Supreme. Your reaction is like chilling because you're like, oh gosh, she's stronger than all of us. Like we can't right. have her against us. And that's the vibe I like, where it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Easy, Wanda, because they're nervous of what could happen. Now, does that make her a villain? Does that make her Phoenix? No, I don't think so. I, I don't, I think I said it wrong last week. I don't want her to have multiple personalities. I just like this idea that she's so confident that you can't stop her. But it's yeah. not arrogant. It's not, it's not like ego. And honestly, some people might push back and say, well, that's kind of what Captain Marvel was. But one, I don't think I got the history with Captain Marvel. Two, I don't think I got to see Captain Marvel earn it as much as I see Elizabeth Olsen earn it right. with WandaVision. And three, I don't think it has that ego with it. Like when Captain Marvel says, I'm going to go kill Thanos, it comes off with a little bit of almost arrogance like we're talking about. This right. feels more like out of her heartbroken place, she's earned it, and now it's just confidence. It's like, I don't think that's fair. I don't know. That's way too much for one line. No, but it's, I mean, it's an incredible. I can't it's, wait for her to be a foundational figure of this whole phase. <laughs> right. Which is one of the reasons I, I like starting our post-endgame phase four, however you want to put it, with. WandaVision because I, I do feel like yeah it's that, gonna be central yeah I think so too and it's gonna be fascinating to see where they leave her character after this film last thing on the trailer front Robbie unless you have more things who's this other character they keep showing me I don't even know the name of it yes uh so I think you're talking about America Chavez and that's gonna be a really it's gonna be interesting to track because so we we've known she was gonna she was gonna appear in this movie I, I actually what's really fascinating is they have released some uh, concept art from No Way Home. And there were early drafts of the script which had her playing the role that Doctor Strange played in No Way Home. Where she so was is she kind a mystic of the, arts person? So she's a, she's a, 
more like an interdimensional kind of multiverse person. Um, and that okay. like, it's sort of, it's sort of hard to explain. And I think it may, it, it'll make more sense to get into it maybe once the movie's out. Uh, it's sort of like the <laughs> okay. whenever you try to, when you try to explain the whole thing, it, it gets a little unwieldy, but she's basically one of these like super, super strong dimension hopping, almost like invulnerable characters, but she's, she's mostly known as someone that has that ability to easily hop from one reality to another. Um, and she, she like punches, (laughs) she punches like star shaped holes, like between planes of existence, between realities, <laughs> and then can like walk through them. So like you see how visually it could be really trippy and really fun within a movie like this. Um, Sometimes when you're explaining comics, it sounds like you're playing Boulder Dash and you're making up <laughs> the story and I have to guess if it's a lie or not. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, it, it reminds me a lot of Eternals where it's like on paper as I'm trying to explain this, it just sounds ridiculous. And that's why I'm like, I want to see how they how they go about it in the movie. Because again, in comics, how this happens is you have a character introduced in one issue and then issue by issue, you start to get more of their story. And then slowly they start to get woven into the fabric of the Marvel comics universe as a whole. And it all feels way more natural. But I think whenever we try to be like, well, in the comics, like I, I see some of these videos on YouTube whenever people are trying to explain like, okay, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Who is America Chavez? And then they like list off like an issue number and it just sounds absurd because it is absurd because it's comics when you break it down into like those little bites like you were saying. (laughs) So I'm tempted to not be that other than just to say she's a really compelling character. She was Marvel's first um, Latino LGBTQ plus character, which was significant in and of itself. Um, and I think she just kind of has a unique role as we're moving into more like multiversal travel stuff. We'll just make for a a good addition personality wise, power set wise to the MCU. But again, I think it's really difficult to see exactly how, or if she's going to be connected to anything that we've gotten so far, because I think in the comics, she actually originates in like a, a separate parallel reality anyway like she's not she's not like someone from the main universe that got powers and then started hopping around she's like someone from an alternate universe that makes her way into the main universe which i'm guessing is what's going to be happening here in this next film my last lingering question from the trailer what role did loki sylvie and kang play with this are they going to have the movie from the perspective of Dr. Strange, quote unquote, messed up this multiversal reality via Spider-Man No Way Home, via What If, losing Christine Palmer, or is it via Loki Kang, or is it something entirely different? I understand that we're now in the multiversal phase, but the trailer seems to blame it on Strange. And I'm just curious to see if they tie that in at all. Well, especially again with Michael Waldron, right? Because the No Way Home writers said they weren't really thinking all that much about Loki when they had their Doctor Strange stuff going on. But Waldron has has said explicitly 
that he sees his task as continuing what he started with Loki in some ways. So like, I feel like he's going to be the one to smooth all this out one way or the other. Yeah. Okay. Still so much to go. Moving on briefly. I want to say that because it was Super Bowl week, we got a ton of other trailers as well. So a quick check-in at the box office, although this is just trailers, not box office yet. I know you saw the new Lord of the Rings spot. I'm sure. Yes. Interested at some other point, maybe to hear your full thoughts on that quick reaction, Lord of the Rings trailer. I, I need to, I need to spend some more time with it. I'm really, I'm really protective of, (laughs) of my Lord of the Rings Tolkien content. And you're me when it comes to Lord of the Rings. Yes. Yeah. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm on board yet. Um, I've been really excited for the project. My, my initial takeaway was, I don't know. I don't know that I love the aesthetic. Um, wow. But, wow. But, but I don't know. I'm, I'm going to spend some more time with it. I could come back on next week's episode. I honestly don't even think that, like, I, I've, I've really only barely seen it once, like, during the Super Bowl. Like, I haven't gone and watched it since then. But It's a Friends from Work Plus episode in the making. Yeah, there you go. A new Jurassic World which I think is the finale of all the Jurassic Park stuff. So shout out to all our Jurassic Park fans out there. I thought the trailer was pretty cool. We'll see. Obviously the new Doctor Strange trailer, but then sneaky, this new trailer for a movie called Nope. Yeah. Which is a Jordan Peele film who directed Get Out. And you know, I loved Get Out. Again, I don't Mm -hmm. like horror, but he gets right on that line where it's like almost a horror movie. This looked wild. It's literally called Nope. It's like an alien invasion to some horse farm. <laughs> it sounds absurd, <laughs> but by the way, I still need to see Us. I haven't seen that yet, but I can't wait to to see that movie too. So lots going on on the movie front. And not on the movie front, but Super Bowl front, we also got a couple of Moon Knight TV spots. Right. With some new footage. We need to get into a little more here. Dude, March and April and May are going to kick so much butt. Are you kidding me? We get to ramp up to Moon Knight, which is awesome. While we're doing Moon Knight, we'll be ramping up for Doctor Strange. It's awesome. I mean, I think we, we've we said this several times, so I don't want it to sound disingenuous, but that combination is uniquely exciting to me. Like, I, I really do think right. <laughs> those, are, those are two projects we've been talking about for a long time that we've been looking forward to in terms of how they could kind of change the tone of the MCU in their own ways. So like, I really, I'm looking forward to that little two month period as much as I've looked forward to anything since we kind of got the MCU back up and running again with WandaVision. I'm laughing because the one, two punches we've gotten have already been so good. Remember how much we loved Loki and black widow? Like that's a one, two punch right there. But then I feel like they kind of topped it with Hawkeye and Spider-Man. Right. And now they're going for the jugular with Moon Knight and Doctor Strange. So we'll see. We'll see. Which and I and I want to say also, we were talking about how good the, the trailer is for Multiverse of Madness. I feel like in some ways where Marvel's even weaker is with their TV spots. Like sometimes like that's where I'm like, oh, like this is some strange editing that then we watch the movie and it it's way better than it looked. But the TV spots for Moon Knight have looked dope like i am so excited for that show well that's a perfect transition because the last thing we need to get into a little bit is moon knight daredevil and how that affects the disney plus stuff just because right now on friends from work plus 
which by the way, if you're interested in checking out, go to the ffwpodcast.com and there's a link right there on the front to join our Patreon, join FFW Plus. It's $5 mm-hmm. a month and we talk about a bunch of other bonus content that we can't get to on the regular feed. And it's been really, really fun for us so far. So check that out. But right now, we're just going through a rewatch of Daredevil, which I've never seen. A rewatch for me, a first watch for you. Yeah, true. Exactly. And we've only watched four episodes, so it's not too late to get caught up. But I love the first four episodes, and it was pretty fun. Yeah, it's been so much fun revisiting that show. I've talked a lot about how much of a Daredevil fan I am. Uh, the character in general, but also the this particular interpretation. So this is something I've been looking forward to watching with you for a long time. And I think it's been really interesting to be watching this at the same time that we're doing this saga so far rewatch because it gives me the opportunity to kind of set this show next to the Disney Plus shows that we've gotten and see kind of two different approaches to Marvel television. Looking back on these first four, I think if I have any... If I have any hot take, I, and I said this on the Slack, I think that these first four episodes of this series are, in my opinion, better than a lot of the individual episodes of the Disney Plus series. I would make an exception for WandaVision, uh, having just watched that. And I I think that, if anything, it even went up further in my rankings. But I think otherwise, one thing I've noticed about the Disney Plus shows, and I'm curious to get your your response to this. Like, look look at Loki, for instance, which you and I both love the premiere and the finale of that show. And I feel like a lot that's in between is a little hit or miss for me personally. And I think that that's kind of been the case with a lot of the Disney Plus shows. Like, I think it, it varies so much from episode to episode. Like, I, I think it would be interesting at some point for us to just do a ranking of individual episodes, even just kind of for our own edification. Because I just think comparatively, like as I was watching these first four and I'm thinking how you're going to react to them, I just was struck by how consistent they were. Like, it, it doesn't feel like some of those Disney Plus shows where you have like an excellent first episode and then like a dip and then a really great third episode and then a dip. Like it just feels like they had the story they wanted to tell. They had the room, the time to tell it, to get the pacing right. And so okay. I I don't, I, I'm not I, I'm not trying to be overly hot takey, but I really did. I told Candace that while we were watching. I, I was struck by, other than some of those performance issues that you pointed out, performance issues, um, I think that, you know, they say one out of five. I, know, I was <laughs> waiting for it. I was waiting for it. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. It's not uncommon. Um, it's, I, yeah, I, I, the consistency, I guess, just really, really struck me here. Uh, you're not crazy, but I would have to push back on some of what you just said. First of all, I do think that some of the performance issues are large enough for me of a step mm. down that that, that, that would like 
put it on the level of saying it's not quite as consistent. So like if you're saying it's consistent minus the performance issues, to me, Foggy was enough of a turnoff that I didn't have in WandaVision or really Hawkeye or really Falcon Winter Soldier to where that levels the playing field a little bit. I guess there's specific categories that each show does better than the other, including this one. I do think the one thing the Disney Plus shows need to learn from is the pacing because this is 13 episodes. That's just the obvious, right? Loki has six episodes of the same length. They're still only 50 minutes. Now, the other major difference is I think Disney Plus is relying on the fact that every one of these shows is happening with characters we already know, right? So they don't think they need to go back and lay the groundwork for Loki because we already laid it for movies worth. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if that is sometimes a detriment for the show itself. Because what this Netflix show is able to do right now is we don't know anything about Daredevil. So these first four episodes are just barely the foundation. We're just getting to know who he is. We're getting to right. know his past with his father. We're just meeting Claire. We're just meeting Kingpin for the first time. And we still are only one third of the way in. So. I do think Disney Plus could learn a little bit from that. Even though we know the characters already, I'm with you. I kind of want them to tell a longer story, a more complete story. I think that would allow for some of the dips to not be there as much. And then my last point is that you bring up these dips in quality. I would say if I had one fair pushback and a warning to the Daredevil series, again, I've only seen four. You're right. They're very, very good. I hope it doesn't get a little too Law & Order SVU-ish, where is every episode going to come down to, we're back at the office, here's a new case, like Law & Order, this is why this one's a little bit different, we take it, we do the case, and while we're doing it, we learn a little bit more about the overarching picture, and that's the vehicle they're going to use the whole time. I don't know Mm. that. But that would be my pushback to that is like it does have hints of that where if it stays in that rhythm, I will be turned off. So in that case, I will get to the end and go, I wish it was actually shorter than the 13 episodes. Yeah, yeah. Well, So and I don't I, know that there's a perfect solution to what you said is my point to all that. Well, and, and I, won't, I won't give anything away. I don't think that you'll wind up feeling that way, but – one thing Do you that see I've, what I'm saying with it, though? Oh, no, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, I see, I see what you're saying, especially at this point. I think that you'll find as things start picking up, like this was a very, like you said, a very foundational couple of episodes. Something I've said for for years is that I I really think that HBO has the episode count right and that everyone else stands to learn something from that. Like they, they do these 10 episode seasons, sometimes nine episodes. I also really like how stranger things like their first season was eight episodes. Like, I think that's a really good, like that eight to 10 range is really nice. Six feels like too small. Yeah. And 13 can be a little bloated. And I think there are probably points within this series as a whole where you'll feel like, okay, like it's maybe stalling a tad in the middle. It's also worth pointing out that we're not just saying nine, it's nine to 10, 50 minute episodes, right? Like WandaVision was nine episodes, but it was still only 30. But it is, it is worth noting that WandaVision is the most successful one to us. And that was nine, even though they were shorter. Uh, Six, like I'd almost rather six be like Sherlock, which is three. Yes. 
Yeah. Do three two-hour things. Like, right. what would Loki have looked like if you had done three two-hour episodes, I wonder? So I think you either go that route or you go, like you're saying, nine or ten. I 100% agree. Right. I think it's just, isn't it interesting how, maybe when I'm talking about these, these dips and changes in quality, I don't want to come down too hard on these shows that I've generally really enjoyed. I think what I'm maybe getting at is some of these, like you brought up with Hawkeye, like episode to episode, it can shift so much tonally. And ironically, I actually think WandaVision was the most consistent even though every like it, it was the it's the one that would have had the biggest excuse to shift tonally episode to episode, right? Because they're doing all these different eras. But I think that had the most through line. But I feel like I look back to and I'm not saying I love one or hate the other, but like Falcon Winter Soldier, like the difference between an episode like Truth and the episode where like you've got Zemo dancing at the club. Like there's some like Okay, okay. I, and I'm, I, not, I'm not hating on either of those, so don't feel like you have to defend it. I'm just saying, but do you notice, like, I have, I've noticed personally that some episodes feel, like in Hawkeye, like if you put the epi- like that finale next to some of the earlier episodes in that season, I'm not saying that they're incompatible, but I'm saying all of a sudden it's like, okay, now we're, we're very much in this, in this world, and more so than I think I thought we were two episodes ago. Yep. I agree with that wholeheartedly with Hawkeye and what if I don't think I would agree with that tonally with Loki or Falcon, Winter soldier or WandaVision like the Zemo thing. That's like a five second shot literally while they're killing time. I don't think the whole episode is off tonally with the example you gave personally. Well, but with Hawkeye, whoa, 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 hold on. Do you, do you, do you wonder if it has anything to do with the multiple directors? Hawkeye was the only one with multiple directors, right? They've yeah. had multiple writers, but Hawkeye had different directors. Yeah, that I mean that that might be fair. Because that that's the one where the tone is super weird. Like there is parts in that show where it's absolutely magnificent with him calling his son and Kate translating because he can't hear and how moving that is. And with the car chase scene. And then all of a sudden it would change to like the owl or the bros. Or, and I'm and I'm like, yeah. okay, yeah, that is weird. It feels like I'm almost watching a comedy. And then it's not a comedy with Yelena. And then it right. is at times with Yelena talking about the food. Like, yeah, that that's where, like, it, to me it got off. Now, some of the things worked. But, yes, the tone right. was, like, up, down, up, down. What are we, what are we going at here? I think, and this is just going to come down to a pure preference thing, but if, if you look at, at the critiques that Marvel has drawn – most consistently, I think, and generally I disagree with this, but I, th- I think it's worth bringing some of these up to at least talk through. Often folks will say that as it's gone further and further, Marvel is overly reliant on humor, that they're unwilling often to just kind of let a heavy moment be a heavy moment without the, the like, wait two seconds, then a little joke thrown in. And I, I do wonder, I, I feel like I've been more aware of it in some of the Disney plus shows, like they're sometimes I feel like they can't quite decide how much they want to lean into comedy and how much they want to have something that kind of takes itself seriously. And I think that I, one of the reasons I love Marcus and McFeely as writers, as much as I do is that I think that they 
do that maybe better than any other writing team I've seen in superhero movies of like finding ways to have legitimately funny moments like you get in Infinity War and Endgame and Civil War without taking away the weight of the general story or, or like the character's arc within that film or series of films. And I think that one thing I've noticed about Daredevil is it just doesn't really feel the need to be very funny. And I think you could argue, well, that's going to, you know, isolate a lot of the Marvel audience that really likes that humor. And I think that's totally fair. But yeah. I think I, I'm sort of picking up on that difference, having spent so much time in Disney Plus World. Yeah, you're 100% right. This is fascinating. You're 100% right that, yeah, it is different, obviously. But I would say, like, there are times where I miss it here, not having good humor. Like, there are right. times where Daredevil is trying to be a funny show. Not not tonally, but, like, there are jokes right. that have not worked yet. Like, I have not laughed at Daredevil yet, even when they wanted me to. Like, Foggy right. is trying to deliver funny lines, and he's not funny. So, right. like, that would be my pushback there. It's like, they don't have it right here either. Yes, I like that they're not trying to be super humor, but, dude— the whole like eel thing was like a good 10 minutes of them trying to be funny, you know? Yeah, like, no. And, and which did not work for me either. Exactly. So like, it's a trade-off kind of, and I think you're a hundred percent right. That part of the reason we attribute the Marvel quote unquote quip thing to me is because Robert Downey Jr., John Favreau and Marcus and McFeely all made it so good. And so popular, like they did it so well, right. That everyone just associated that with Marvel. And I'm with you. There are a lot of times in these Disney Plus shows that I do wish they'd take themselves more seriously, which is wild because forever I've loved the quips and like I fault DC for taking itself too seriously. Right. So there's a happy medium there. So you're 100% right. But I would just say that there's a trade-off sometimes with that too. And like Daredevil's not perfect. Like it's not getting the oh, funny no, thing for sure. at all, even when it's trying to so far for me for four right. episodes. No, and Whereas that's, like that's even a good point. parts of Hawkeye were funny at times, like they did swing and sometimes it missed, but sometimes right. it was funny. Oh no, for sure. And, and by the way, I, I feel like we're, I don't, we both enjoyed Hawkeye a lot. So I don't want anyone to come away from this episode thinking we're just trashing Hawkeye or trashing any of the Disney plus things. I think it's just an interesting, like, I, I think sometimes it's, it's just nice to kind of have something different. One of my biggest regrets in the MCU though, is that Hawkeye finale. I wish it had landed that finale in this same vein of Daredevil. If it had stayed in this vibe, like Hawkeye could have been my favorite show. Like that's how good I felt like the setup was in the first couple. Right. Even episode like three and four were fantastic. If I remember right. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I, I didn't feel like it was up and down at all. And Hawkeye until the finale. Now I look back at it differently than it was. Like I said, a million times. I felt like WandaVision kind of like escalated. So like on a chart, it was like boom, boom, higher, 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 higher. I felt like Loki started super high, dipped like a smiley face and came all the way back super high. So it's a straight parabolic curve. Mm -hmm. But I felt like Hawkeye was the one that was like up towards the top, up towards the top, up towards the top, up towards the top, massive cliff. Right. So I just regret that it didn't end differently. That's all. I do love the show. I just, if it had ended in this vein, I'd be like, dude, you got to see freaking Hawkeye. That's how I would have right. felt about it. Right. Even with the humor and how they balanced it and all of that. Just, I like the humor with the quips tied with a good emotional response. I don't like the humor as far as the goofy tone. Right. Which is also why I don't like Guardians 2. 
by the way. Right. The goofy yeah. tone. Yeah. I just can't get over how how effective it could have been, even if we even if we just had like a a strong credit scene showing that Wilson Fisk is in the the universe without having to uh, I don't know. It's just weird. I feel like there are a couple different ways that that could have been handled a lot better. Anyway, but no, I, I guess my point talking about this with Daredevil is I do think it's it's interesting to see two kind of different approaches to that because I think the you're right. There are there are some jokes here and there in Daredevil, but I think one of the differences is that I think in in your average Disney Plus show, if the jokes don't work, the episode won't work because a lot of it not not because every episode's funny, but because they're they're often enough that yep. you know if if it's bad writing, and I think generally we've praised a lot of the writing in the MCU for good reason. I think in Daredevil, you're that's a great observation. I think Daredevil often works for me in spite of the jokes not working just showing kind of how mm-hmm. non-central those are to what the show is trying to do. You are also right in that I am really looking forward to a Disney Plus show embracing this darkness and lack of joking. I do think they need to have that kind of character in the MCU, which is why, by the way, I'm bringing up that Daredevil would make a fantastic addition because right. like some of that tone needs to come into the MCU. I have said that from day one. It's not just the grit that I always talk about. It is what you're also mentioning, the jokes, the vibe, the whole tone overall. I'm hoping Moon Knight's a little bit of that. Like, I'm okay with there being humor, but I want Moon Knight to lean more Daredevil in tone than Hawkeye in tone, if if I had to choose. I'm hoping that they eventually start embracing that a little bit. Maybe with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, too, like embracing kind of the darker side of it. And by the way, I do think it'd be fair to go show by show at some point and point it out. Cause like WandaVision is hilarious and so moving emotionally. So like it knocked it out of the park, like 10 out of 10. I wouldn't change anything because of the nature of the show. They get away with it there. Like it works perfectly for that show. Right. But that's not the same as comparing Loki. Right. So like that was a little bit of my thing with like Loki episode five, I get really thrown off by the carnival music fight with all the Lokis. Why did we have to do that? That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about with you where I'm like, the show didn't need that. It had the jokes working when they did them. I didn't need like, okay, and by the way, this is an advertently funny section. Laugh here. Right. So I agree with you. No, yes, that's a, that's a good like. <laughs> I think that's tangent. exactly what I'm getting at. Well, I know, but I but I am glad you brought up Moon Knight because I I don't know if you saw the quote from Feige that was going around earlier this week about the show, but I absolutely did. Yes, let's go, <laughs> Empire Magazine. Yes, yeah, uh, where he said that, I, and and you can let me know if I'm misquoting this, but I think it was something to the effect of there there are moments when Moon Knight is is pummeling these guys, and you keep waiting for it to pull back. And it doesn't pull back. And that got me so stoked for the show <laughs> as we're watching. He literally Daredevil. used the word brutal. So Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Because that's exactly yeah. kind of what we've been asking for. Right. And I'm okay with it being a happy medium. If the show is dark and vibe, it takes itself seriously. I'm okay with a little bit of humor mixed in there, and I'm okay with the extra grit. Just maybe not as much as this. Like one notch down to where my wife can still watch it with me. Good to go. Right. But anyways, wow, what an episode. So much going on. Holy cow. 
Like I said at the beginning, we're now on TikTok, which I don't even know how to share my handle because I don't even get it. That's how little I know about it. But <laughs> like Wanda says, I'm going to figure out these powers. I will learn them <laughs> and I will learn them well. Uh, but check us out there. Follow us on Twitter, guys. We know a ton of you follow us on Instagram, which is awesome. But check out our Twitter at the FFW podcast. Because, for example, like tonight when we do the Saga So Far rewatch, we're going to be live tweeting, not live posting on Instagram. So Twitter's been kind of a unique social media for us because it can be more conversational there. We like to jump in on other people's conversations there. So check out Twitter at the FFW podcast. Well, and by the way, if you do watch along with us tonight uh, oh, yeah. and you use the hashtag FFW Saga so far, then not only will you be a part of that conversation, but you will be entered for a chance to win one of three vintage FFW tees that we're giving away um, to whoop, folks whoop. that take part in the in the rewatch. So that applies on on Twitter or on Instagram or you know, if there are other social media platforms that we're forgetting, you know, submit that for our consideration. And uh, yeah, that'll be fun. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, please, please, please click follow, subscribe. And if you get a chance, rate and review the podcast. It helps us a lot. We love you guys so much. We have a ton of fun ideas for next week, both on the Friends From Work Plus side and here. We can't wait to share them with you. We'll see you soon on Friends From Work.